from John chapter number 20, verse number 19. This is Resurrection Day, and this is John's rendering of what happened that evening after the morning of the resurrection. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, why? For fear of the Jews. They thought, we're next. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Wow. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Now, this is amazing, isn't it? Because Jesus already knew what was in his heart and what he had said eight days ago. And the first thing he says is for Thomas, come over here. Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, Father, what a day. It's a day of eternal celebration. All of heaven rejoices, and so do we. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday, the day when the church rejoices in the resurrection of your son Jesus. He has triumphed over our adversary. We are free indeed, and may we enforce our liberty and stand in his triumph today. May Satan scream in horror at our victory. May he lose throughout this day and the week ahead and the days to come in each of our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Several years ago, a survey was taken. They asked 28 historians and educators to look into all the events that have happened in the world. And in looking at all the events that have happened in the world, to come back with what they considered to be the most 100 significant events to have ever occurred in the history of humankind. After months, they came back with what they considered to be the most significant events to happen in the history of humankind. And they listed as number one, the discovery of America. Second most significant event that listed as important in the history of humankind, the invention of the printing press. For third place, they listed 11 concurrent events under the third place, and they considered all 11 of them to be equal in importance. 
And interestingly enough, of those 11 in third place, adding the previous two, first, second place, a total of 13 events, Christ is not mentioned. Only when they come to fourth place, and they're in the fourth slot, they listed five they considered to be equal importance at number four. One was the discovery of ether, the discovery of the x-ray machine, the invention of the airplane, and the life of Christ was added to number four. Only when they arrived at category number four did they have a position where they inserted the life of Christ. So when I read about that, that spoke to me a little bit. For the moment, I thought, wow, that's not encouraging. But I realized that if all one ever did was just take the life of Christ, what history tells us about him, just his life, if the educators and the historians were only looking at just the life of Jesus, then I can understand perhaps to them why they put him in that particular position. But today we've come here not to just celebrate the life of a man who lived and walked and talked among humanity. His life consisted of far more than that. This morning we are here to celebrate the single most significant event that ever occurred. Not only his life, but his death, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection that places Jesus in a category all by himself. In one's natural life, you can maybe cite three or four different events that you remember where you were when they happened. I mean, they had impact on you. I remember I got to watch the first man walk on the moon. I watched it live on television. Wow. I got to watch the results of the assassination of our president. And I thought, wow, how could this have happened in our country? I got to watch the walls come down around Germ in Germany and the fall of the Soviet Empire and the Iron Curtain. And then I got to watch live early on that morning of September 11, the striking of our towers and their collapse. Those are events that impact you, and you don't forget them. If you lived in the last century, there was the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing of over 100,000 slaves. That was a significant event. But I want to speak to you about the single most significant event to ever affect the human race, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are three items I want you to look at today. What does the resurrection mean? You can fill in your worksheet you were given when you came in the door and follow along. Number one, there was one thing the resurrection did not change. It did not change Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In John 20, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I love the next phrase. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> now, that's the greatest understatement in the Bible. Because they were hiding. They thought, we're next. We're going to get executed tomorrow. So Jesus said to them, again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
and he pours into them his presence, the Spirit of the Lord. Can you imagine the excitement and the joy that filled the hearts of these disciples when they saw Jesus? There are things about Jesus after his resurrection that did not change. Yes, his body now was a glorified body. There was some change. It was hard for some of them to comprehend what happened to him because now he didn't have to have someone open the door or open his own door. He just appeared in a room. That did change, but there were some things that did not change. It did not change his actions. Jesus was still reaching out to people. Jesus was still caring. The disciples were in that room frightened and fearful and alarmed and disillusioned at what happened. Every type of emotion was raging within them. They were in a state of shock, a state of unbelief. They had walked with him for three and a half years. They had given up their careers to serve with him. They believed in him. They never imagined that he could be killed because they'd seen him avoid people trying to kill him in the past. And so violently was he arrested and tried and convicted, then punished beyond our human comprehension what he took in his body and then executed. So they were in fear for their lives. All their hopes and dreams were smashed. They had such high respect and honor for Jesus. They had loved him. They had watched him. They had listened to him. But he was lost to them in just a few hours. His life was over. Yet we see Jesus walking now into their lives. He's not changed. He's still touching. He's still reaching to them. He's still caring about others. He's still doing that even today. So the difference between Christianity and other religions is twofold. Christianity is the only religion that has a reaching God, a God who comes looking for us, a God who has loved us enough to reach to all of us, and he cared about our fate and our spiritual condition. And Christianity is the only religion that has a resurrected God. And the experience of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection did not change Jesus' actions nor did it change Jesus' words. He showed them his wounds. He reassured them and said, Peace to you. Now those were the words the angelic host sang at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And what is he saying in the upper room after the resurrection? Peace to you. So the miracle of Christmas, the virgin womb, the miracle of Easter, the empty tomb, and the same message at both, peace. Then 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah proclaimed Jesus would be called the Prince of Peace. This is what Jesus said in John 14. This is prior to the crucifixion, again in the upper room with his disciples, few days before he's arrested, he looked at them and said, My peace I give to you, not as the world can give. And this world can never take this peace away. His actions did not change. His words did not change. And Jesus' purpose did not change. Verse 21, he speaks peace to them. And then he says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So one of the most exciting things about Easter is that it assists every believer and follower of Jesus that we are called to be his witnesses. We are to be carriers of the good news. 
sharing the resurrection of Jesus so that the message is whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Number two, there's one thing that the resurrection did change. It changed the lives of those who heard about it and believed. See, before the resurrection, men and women were lost in their sins. There was no intercessor for them. They were without the Holy Spirit in their lives. There was little or no hope of eternal life. But when you come to verse 24, here comes Thomas. And Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with him when Jesus came. The disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, peers in their midst and said, peace to you. He says to Thomas, reach with your finger here and look at my hands and reach with your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. I've been gripped with the fact that the thing that impacted the disciples more than anything was the resurrection. Not just that Jesus died. That was substitutionary. It was a miracle to itself. But that he rose because it brought an absolute change in their lives, a complete turnaround. All of a sudden, men of fear, men of cowardice, they become men of courage and men of strength. Thomas, the one who doubted, so discouraged, so defeated, the one who said to the other disciples who had already seen Jesus, unless I see and touch the wounds in his hands, I will not believe. I have to see for myself with my own eyes and touch with my own hand. Thomas, after he has personal contact with the risen Savior, along with a majority of other Jesus' disciples, became martyrs. They laid their lives down gladly, willingly, for the message of the resurrection. They died for the fact that not only Jesus had died, but was resurrected and now lived. That was the message that got under the skin of those who hated Jesus. Not that he just died, but that he lived, that he resurrected, that he came back. So the resurrection totally changed these men. And now they had the help of the Holy Spirit with them. Jesus had breathed him into them. He had come to abide with the disciples forever. They had power now that Christ possessed, and they were endued with that power to go out and do what his commandment said. Tell others like I've come to tell you. In turn, you go tell others. They now knew the truth of what Jesus had come to do and what he had taught them and said, because I live, you're going to live also. They had the hope of eternal life, that in fact there's life to come. These were men transformed from cowering to courage, from fear to faith. And then number three. There's one thing that the resurrection can still change. It can change you and me. If you believe. Because 2,000 years after this historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus, it still can change us. And it's still changing millions of people around the world. 
Today on this Easter Sunday, over one billion people are in an Easter celebration service rejoicing in the truth. Jesus is alive. (laughs) Wow. Think about that. In John 20 and 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there are two areas of the resurrection of Jesus changes today. When you believe, when you accept, when you receive that he is who he says he is, the first area deals with your fears. That begins to change. It's a fact of life that people are fearful. We've got psychiatrists and psychologists dealing with people and all their phobias that paralyze them, having to counsel them, come alongside of them, walk through classes with them. Listen, as a matter of fact, when you open the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, all you've got to do is scroll down 66 verses in the very beginning of the history of the human race, two chapters, and you will read where fear entered the heart of the human race. Remember, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God came looking for them in the garden. They had fellowshiped in that garden every single day. They walked together in that garden every single day. And God would pour his heart into Adam. So God comes looking for Adam after the fall, after the sin, after the disobedience. And it says, there was fear now in Adam's heart. I was afraid And I went and hid myself. 66 verses and fear has been introduced into human family. The first thing the resurrection does for us, it takes away the fear. It's gone. So we look into the cup of communion every month. We remember those who have left us and we're sorrowful at their parting. They've died in this life. For the believer, in spite of pain of loss, in spite of difficulty of separation, there's still joy. There's still peace. There's an anticipation of reunion. We've got hope that there's something beyond this life. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Easter and resurrection take away the fear in your life. Fear of condemnation. That because I've sinned, I'm going to get judged and have justice for this. Fear of death. What happens when I close my eyes and it's over in this world? A new movie that's out called Heaven is for Real tries to help us understand the crossover, that you change from this plane to another, that there's eternity forever, and fear of the future, and the concerns everybody has, what's going to happen? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to spend forever? There are 365 verses in God's word that say to us, fear not. One verse for every day of the year. You do not need to live in fear. When lions go out hunting for their prey, it's interesting how they set things up in their pride of lions. They take with them on their hunting trip the old king lion, the oldest male in the pride. He may no longer be the strongest or the fastest, but boy, what he represents. And they take the old king lion. 
And know what he does? He stands over on one side in a clearing, and he begins to roar, and he shakes his mane, and he gives that loud sound that only the male lion, king of the pride, can make. And so the game that they're hunting, as the prey approaches the clearing, they see and hear this old king lion, king of the pride, and they look at him, and he's roaring, and he's shaking his mane, and they become fearful, and they turn, and they run right into the pursuing pride, and they're easily taken down. Fear has caused them to lose focus, and they're easily overwhelmed. Now, if that frightened animal would just realize the old king can make a lot of noise, but he's not real fast anymore, doesn't have much power anymore, and the first thing it would do is run right around the old king lion, and they know, hey, we can escape this pride. I'm here to tell you, at the resurrection, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what he did for us, he took away the power of Satan to frighten us. And although Satan may come around as a roaring lion, we don't need to have fear. Because the power is now resident in Jesus Christ, and his victory is in us over death and the devil. The resurrection takes away fear in your life. All fear is gone. And that makes all the difference in the way you see and you view life and how you handle yourself. Second thing the resurrection of Jesus does for you, the resurrection changes your future. Changes your future. Paul said, without the resurrection of Christ, you would be of all men most miserable because you would never know any hope that beyond this world you could ever live forever in the joy and peace of heaven. Resurrection changes that perspective. It gives you hope. It gives you light. It gives you a bright future. It brings joy. It gives you anticipation that this life could never bring to you. It is not over when you die. It's the beginning. One man I've enjoyed reading about historically is Sir Winston Churchill. Now, before Churchill died... He held his funeral in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Before he died, he written out exactly what I want to have done at my funeral in perfect detail, from start to finish. And in that funeral service for Sir Winston Churchill, they sang the great hymns of the church. There was a beautifully written liturgy and, and, and eulogy of his life and what he had done, his accomplishments, his achievements. And then the minister gave a message of hope and talked about eternal life. Now, at the very close, the way they ended the funeral for Sir Winston Churchill, from the top of the dome in St. Paul's Cathedral, a bugler stood up and he began to play taps. And all the dignitaries are listening to the taps. It's the universal sign that it's over. It's done. End. And a great moment of melancholy swept over the audience at Churchill's funeral because they sensed a great life is over. Wow, we've lost a phenomenal hero. But immediately when the taps were done playing, that bugler sat on the other side of the dome, prearranged by Churchill, stands up another bugler, and he begins to play revelry. It says, it's time to get up. It's the trumpet sound that's played early in the morning when the troops are to get up. Time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. Yeah. 
That's what the resurrection does for you and me. It takes the taps out of our lives. It replaces taps with hope, joy, excitement, and anticipation that there's a new beginning. The resurrection is not just an historic event. We walk in the power of the resurrection. Because he said, I live, you shall live also. I am the resurrection and the life. So nothing can hold us down. Nothing holds us back from the promises of God that he's declared over us. Because he lives, we deal with the tomorrows. We can face them. He ensures us this promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Wow. That gives you newfound confidence. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So we're not entertaining fear. What we now entertain is the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means I love my God so much. I am so humbled by what he's done. He put his son in my place. The punishment I deserved and should have gotten. His son innocently didn't deserve any of it. Got in my place and took my punishment. So that's brought me to a place of love for my father. That says after what you've done for me. I never want to deliberately do anything to disappoint you. Help me to fear you and love you and reverence you. So I'll never again hurt your heart. So Calvary Christian Center on this Easter Sunday, because of Jesus' resurrection, we get to run to the battle. And I want to visit that for a minute. Amazes me how many miss life. Not you, this is for your neighbor. They're on pause. Stall. Hold mode. Because something in front of you appears to be bigger, badder, greater than you. Trauma in your life has caused terrorism to take root. You're fearful. You're jumpy. I'm afraid. I don't want to. That's a risk. I'm fearful. And opportunities you once had, you lose because of fear. This is what God's word says about God's people. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. They do great things because they know the power of God. They know who is backing them. It's not of themselves, but they serve a living God that he's alive. When Jesus was crucified and buried, he had to go take a journey and disarm Lucifer. And Jesus' assignment was specifically stated, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's kind of like when you're walking down the street with your daddy, and you've got the hand of your protector, and he's guiding you by his hand down the street, and you know nobody bad enough to hurt you. This Easter, if you truly know Jesus... You're walking down the street of life holding the hand of the all-time undefeated champion of the world. 
Now, this is the ultimate warrior. This man, Jesus. Now, why would you be afraid if you're walking with Jesus? Why? God came to us fully God and fully man, and he shows us how to take down our adversary. He faced his enemy, did not run from him. In fact, he ran to him. Now, why were there three days involved in the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection? Why? Why three days? And someone needs to hear this word. Not long. It's not long. Hear this in the spirit. Remember Muhammad Ali back in the late 70s and early 80s? Every once in a while, prior to a fight, he would pick the round he was going to take out his opponent. Do you remember? And he predicted, wow, who is this guy? Well, I'm going to tell you something. That was nothing compared to what happened here. Jesus predicted in the third round, I'm taking him down permanently. I will finish him on the third day. It'll be over, okay? And he said, I've come to take you off pause. I've come to take you off of stall. I've come to cancel fear. I'm here to let you know I'm up this morning on the third day. I am almighty God. Remember David the boy? He's facing the 10-foot giant. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Now, don't miss this. When the Philistines started running toward David, David didn't retreat. David ran out to greet him. And the Philistines with Goliath came out after David. So many Christians, when something threatening begins to bear down on them, they start cowering in fear, running away like David's brothers in fear. When they came running after David, he ran right out toward them. While running toward them, he reached into that pouch and he pulled out that one stone. And the resurrection boldly declares what's coming after you is actually afraid of you. Just reach down into your soul and grab the rock. Because shortly you're going to receive your reward. Because Jesus showed you how to destroy the devil by just being you filled with him. So Calvary on this Easter, run to the battle. God's releasing something great into your spirit. Because it's Sunday. It's the third day. Jesus is finished with this. And what haunted you from the past cannot haunt you anymore. What was chasing you can no longer chase you any longer. Stand in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus ran to the battle. Jesus was crucified, then buried. He descended into hell. Now you know why it's three days. Not to be hurt, but to obtain our victory. Maybe I need to talk to these folk over here. Because these over here are kind of like, eh? Are you awake over on that side? Are you okay? The hell journey that you faced was not to defeat you. It was to obtain your victory. It was just a short detour. And the devil thought, I'm going to get to take you out and take you down. What he thought would bring terror to you didn't terrorize you. You made the enemy a public spectacle. He didn't think you were ever going to get back up. He eulogized you. You'd been through an awful mess in your life, but God lifted you up so you stand in front of your adversary and tell that loser, you are not messing with me. I am risen with Christ. The resurrection was not a fight. The fight was finished on Friday. 
And so hell was having a party on Saturday. They thought Jesus was dead. His body's in the tomb. Done. Then Jesus crashed the party. And Satan lost his robe of authority. Party crashed. DJ stopped. Jesus walked right up to Satan, and this is what he does. He grabs hold of the keys of death and of hell that he has in his hands over the human race, and Jesus just removes them from his hands. Says, now I have the keys of death and hell. I have earned them. So listen to me. Take back what belongs to you. Jesus already died for what is yours. He took the keys of authority and now shares that triumph with his bride, the church, in the experiences of difficulty you have faced. Now that you see what victory you have in Jesus, when you connect with others who are going through what you've experienced, you take the key that Jesus has given you, you unlock their prison cell, and you cause a jailbreak for them just like you were liberated. Because now you pass on what God gave to you. He led captivity captive. And everyone locked up before Jesus went to hell in a holding pattern, delayed, was set free when he got the keys. But there are some here locked up today. Women still in bondage. Men who don't know how to be a husband or a father. Some stuck in their childhood issues. And God's saying, I've given you issue authority. I'm here to present you with life Freedom, a restored position, a new start, not afraid of what you have to deal with. And then you get to go to others and share this awesome news. Freedom is available. Proclaim liberty because you are a walking example of resurrection power. So what does the resurrection mean? No longer defeated by sin. Enemy no longer has the key to your eternal future. He doesn't have you under his foot. You are no longer having to run from your adversary. Now you run toward him, holding the authority of Jesus in your hands, resurrection in your heart, and he will flee from you. Easter means you have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It means that if God be for me, if God would send his son for me, if God had my life planned before there was ever a day and God has not changed his mind, who can be against me? Because God is for me. So if anybody here has got a little resurrection life in you, you ought to be on your feet saying, thank you, Father. Thank you. Come on, get on your feet and bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, praise the name of the Lord. You're good. You are good. Thank you, Lord. Come on, take a moment and bless him. Lift your hand. Say thanks. What does the resurrection mean? Wow. It means everything. It's changed everything. Thank you, Master. Because he lives. 
You can face your tomorrows because he lives. Your fears are gone. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I've chosen you. I've appointed you to go bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. So for a few moments in quiet worship, I don't know where you've been, and I don't know what you've done. But Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for your sins and mine, changed everything. And here's what I know about the ending of your life. For everybody here today, I know this about the ending of everybody's life. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done today, because Jesus Christ died for your sins, because he rose again, you get to have a beautiful new beginning. That's what I know. That's what he promised. Because he did it for you. And he did it for me. If he had just died and stayed dead, his bones were still in that tomb. It would have been a nice life to say, well, he was a pretty cool guy. Oh, no. I can take you to that place right outside the city wall of Jerusalem in a garden. And the sign over the entryway says, He is not here. He is risen. Thank God he completed the task. Our eyes are closed for a couple of moments before we go home.